This is the Frogcast. And welcome to the Frogcast. The TCU Horn Frogs are the number six team in the country. We are five and zero, moving up the rankings, and who knows what's next for the Horn Frogs? We got a lot to recap and to look forward to in this episode. We're going to talk about game day. We're going to talk about the win against West Virginia. We're going to have some comments on the West Virginia fans, game day, that, and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, tonight I got Jeremiah Glenn and Daniel Southern here to talk about uh, all that's happened in the last week for TCU Frog fans. Of course, the topic we were most excited about last week was the the uh, game day coming to TCU. ESPN camps out all week. We're filling up the campus commons. We got the show. Corso pulls out the head. Both of you guys were there. Jeremiah, what was it like seeing game day and can describe the environment on campus for us that day? Man, it's this is my second one. Obviously, I was there for in '09 also. Uh, so I was trying to compare the two, but I was really impressed with it. You know, I felt like it was a great turnout for being such an early morning show. You know, 8 a.m. and it was, you know, people packed there early in the morning. I didn't get there until right at 8 o'clock. I was kind of running late, but I can tell you, it was it was a madhouse and a lot of signs, a lot of participation, a lot of excitement, and I. There's just something different when college game day comes to town. It, just, it gets the crowd just that much more amped. And I, th- I thought you kind of got a little bit of that during the game. Um, I will say I think the heat maybe took some of that out of people until the fourth quarter. But um, it does. It gets everybody hyped up. And uh, it was a great environment. And it's good to always get that kind of recognition, uh, recognition for the school. Yeah, there's nothing better than when game day comes on and they got the big aerial of campus and how beautiful it is and all the millions of dollars that we put into construction. And then to see our fans there, I was really excited about the turnout from the students for game day. Daniel, you were there. What was it like to experience college game day on campus at TCU? Game day was great. Uh, I I had a lot of fun. I got up there at about um, 1030, actually. I slept in a little... Uh, a little longer. I, I, I keep some uh, odd hours, uh, but I got there uh, in, you know, in time to take to take in the uh, the, the scenery. To uh, uh, you know, I got to see the, all the cool signs and the banners hanging out of the dorm windows, and the, I, you know, I got pretty close to the stage or as close as I could, uh, and I got there in time for the picks and for Corso to put on the helmet or headgear, whatever they call it. And uh, it was packed. I couldn't believe how many people were there. It was, it was just amazing. I didn't get to go um, to the first game day in 2009, and uh, it was uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, and it was a, it was a much cooler environment than I imagined. It's a lot more fun than just a just a, a live TV show that I was kind of expecting. Um, and and the, of course, the best part is the absolute um, priceless. Uh, publicity uh, for TCU, you know, for all the stories about it, the shots of the campus, you know, and they're they're focused on, you know, the team and and they see our crowd and the the fans and everything. And it's just, it's, it was just the coolest thing. And I, I really hope they come back uh, sometime soon. I don't know when Uh, it's it's pretty tough to get on game day or to be the, uh, the location for it. But uh, I I can't wait next time. uh, If they come to town, I'm going to get there a lot sooner so I can enjoy it even more. Yeah, you can't really put a number on the publicity and how much free marketing we were able to get from that because, you know, I don't watch game day. I'm usually out doing some uh, reference football, freshman football on Saturday morning, get home for the 11 o'clock game. But everybody that knows I'm a TCU fan and I'm in Chicago, man, I got so many messages and comments and, and Twitter tweets that, hey, buddy, I'm so excited your school is going to be spotlighted this week. So that was kind of cool to know that all these other people, especially outside of our Big 12 footprint, they watched the show. They were excited to see what was happening. And it does. It just tells a great story about our university and about our team. So that was kind of cool. There were some cool takeaways, some um, auxiliary stories that floated around game day. I just don't want to let these slip by before we get into the game. Did anybody see the SMU marketing campaign to get fans there? Yeah. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that, that was uh, 
That was beautiful. Well, <laughs> that was beautiful. I, you know, now that I, I went there and, and I remember I saw that when it first popped up and I was like, okay, so I'm going to be looking for this group of SMU fans. I'm not saying they weren't there. Maybe somebody saw them there, but I never saw them. I know a lot of TCU fans jumped on that and started trolling those guys, and it was hilarious. So I got a huge kick out of uh, them jumping on there and sabotaging that whole thing they were trying to set up. So I don't know if that scared the SMU fans away or if they actually ended up showing up. I'm not sure. I never did see them. Uh, but, man, that was that was good times right there. I couldn't stop laughing. I did see some tweets post-game uh, day from SMU fans that said they were uh... – not welcomed into the pit or that they were they were asked to remove their shirt. I don't know about all that. I just know that the goal of game day is to get it on your campus. And unless you're a wazoo with the wazoo flag, it's it's kind of small time to go wear the other team's shirt to game day on somebody else's campus, especially when we just got beat there a couple of weeks ago. And especially since we're everything that they desire to be. <laughs> it's pretty funny. All right, well, let's pivot to the the actual game that took place on game day. The Frogs beat West Virginia. The Mountaineers were running up and down the field on us. They put over 500 yards of of offensive production up against our defense. I hate cliches, but we bent but didn't break. We, We came up with stops in the red zone. We took advantage of every opportunity that was given to us. West Virginia did not take advantage of every opportunity that was given to them. Jeremiah, what did the Frogs do right to gut out this win against West Virginia? That's tough, man. You know, they made just enough plays. I I would like to say they stuck with the game plan that's gotten them to where they are of running the football, but I kind of felt like they went away from that. Um, but they made enough plays. Uh, they were opportunistic on their turnovers, um, and they just they won the field position battle. And I think, you know, Cole Bunts was kind of the MVP of the game, man. He just he dropped four or five punts down there inside the six yard, like six yards and, and in. So uh, I think that was really the difference in the game. Um, you know, obviously, like Coach Patterson said in the Big Twelve, you're going to give up points, but to minimize the damage, you just you let them get their yardage between the twenties, and then you you bow your neck in in the red zone, and that's what they they did for the most part. Obviously, they gave up two big plays, um, but they held the number two or three scoring offense in the country to 24 points. And I mean, the 500 yards, that sucks, but it it sucks for coach Patterson knowing what he expects from his defense. But I don't think it's, it's indicative of how well they played overall. There was a couple of busted coverages and and that one run early on in the game, that was like 30 something yards. Other than that, they really played well against the run. um, And they really played well in the red zone. So, you know, they forced uh, West Virginia to kick a field goal, which they missed. Um, and, and overall, I mean, they just made him play with a longer field all day long. And I thought that was the key to the victory. Nunez, I, I completely uh, messed that one up. We got you, brother. Don't worry. One of the cool things was, you know, we gave up 31 to, to Oklahoma state. We gave up 24 to West Virginia. If you put up the, the kind of the conversion tables, that's 17 points in the big 10 and 10 points in the SEC. So the way that our style of play is it happens in the Big 12, that's a good number. So I feel good about it. Daniel, what did you see that the Frogs did right in their ability to get the win this last Saturday? I think the thing the Frogs did the best was on special teams. Uh, mostly, uh, like Jeremiah was saying, uh, Adam Nunez um, with all those punts uh, pinning them behind the five-yard line. Um, and a couple of them were, were downed, I think, on the one. And um, and it's that field position that allowed TCU to at uh, least allowed the TCU defense to bend, not break. And you know, if uh, if something turned over and we gave up uh, a, f- a fumble or something on the forty-five yard line, there then West Virginia is going to score. Uh, it's just a numbers game. But when they have to go ninety-five plus yards, TCU is going to um, average. Uh, by average, law of averages, whatever I'm trying to say, uh, they're going to have the chance to stop them. They'll give up some yards, but they'll end up stopping them, whether somewhere along the line or uh, in in the red zone. And so it was it was those punting those punts. It was uh, the field position that I think kept West Virginia from scoring as much as they did, and that was mostly in the first half when TCU, of course, couldn't score any more than uh, ten. So. It, that's super important, and um, 
I wasn't too thrilled on some of the play calling, but some of them was some of them were very good play calls. Uh, my favorite play, I think, was probably the Turpin throwback to Kenny Hill when he ran it in for a touchdown, allowing him to have uh, of three three ways of scoring, which is pretty pretty cool, like a hat trick. Um, West Virginia is a really good team; they really are. Uh, I don't. I think they should be ranked higher or ranked at all, but because of the way the system is, they're not. They're not currently ranked, but they're a damn good team, and they stack that box and stuffed the run and they really gave us a lot of trouble and we were able to overcome it um but they were they were tough that was a tough team it's probably i want to say they were even more of a struggle than oklahoma state and the way oklahoma played against uh iowa state i'm thinking west virginia might be the second best team um in the in the conference behind of course tcu yeah, I agree. That's a good team that we beat. And, you know, that play that Kenny scored on, on the throwback from Turpin, that reminded me so much of David Porter to Boykin in the 2014 game against Iowa State. So that that was kind of cool to see him kind of put the band back together for that play. Jeremiah, I want to put you on the spot here, see what you have to think about this. Uh, what do you think about the play calling, my friend? Go ahead and give us your guttural response of what you thought of that. You know, I think it was it – was- tough for Cumbie because I, I feel like, like Daniel said, you know, West Virginia really, they stacked the box um, and they, they kind of forced TCU's hand out of the run game. It felt like, um, and I, I think maybe one of the deficiencies in Kenny Hill's game is, is the deep ball across the middle. So, you know, TCU kind of lives on the edges with their little screen game, um, getting the ball to their playmakers real quick and letting them make plays. So, you know, there's not a lot of plays across the middle, most of that game, you know, there wasn't a deep safety back there. And I kept thinking, man, if they could just take some shots, they finally did later in the game, and, and they hooked up on a big one. Um, but, you know, West Virginia was just begging them to throw a deep ball down the middle of the field, and they and they couldn't do it. Uh, they were bringing a lot of pressure. Kenny Hill wasn't setting his feet, you know, and he was thrown off his back foot. It really limited what TCU could do. Unfortunately for the Frogs, I think, you know, they just gave the rest of the Big 12 the blueprint of what to do, just bring pressure on Kenny make him uncomfortable in the pocket because he didn't show the willingness to really stand in there. It's obviously I'm saying this from my keyboard, but he didn't show the willingness to stay in there and take the hits as he was delivering the ball. Um, he was falling away, which was taking a lot of the, you know, the, the power off of his throws. And, um, you know, I think it just limited TC with what they could do. I, I would like to have seen him stick with the run game more. I mean, you can't, I'm sorry, Darius Anderson has to get more than nine carries. I, and I don't care how many you give Kyle Hicks. But Darius Anderson has to get 15 carries, 13 to 15. Carries. Oh, he does. Yeah, he does have to get more carries, and we've got to find a way to get Darius Anderson to be recognized as the centerpiece of this offense because that kind of, kind of what it is. I mean, that's just what it is. The 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 personnel needs to change and adjust with what the team is and what it is becoming. One other quick thing here for you, Jeremiah. We finally did get it downfield, like Daniel referenced, with uh, Jalen Rager catching that ball right down there on the pylon. Do you think that that is something that Kenny Hill is capable of doing a couple of times a game, or do you think that Sonny doesn't trust him, or do you think we just couldn't bring ourselves to take that shot? You know, before this game, you know, Kenny really hasn't shown very much accuracy on his deep ball. Uh, he's been way off. He hasn't really been given his guys a chance. Uh, so I'm sure it's a confidence thing. Um, but even not only the, the deep ball to Rager, but the deep ball to Graham was a perfectly thrown ball. Um, Graham's right arm was pinned by the DB, so he couldn't make the catch. But that was a perfectly thrown deep ball. So that kind of gives you a little bit of hope that maybe Kenny can find that touch again. Um, I liked the the one he threw to DR. So they went up and did the jump ball. Uh, when he got a little bit of pressure. Um, I don't know. I, I'd like to see some more deep passes. I'd utilize the middle of the field because to me, you know, Rager is Corey Coleman all over again. I mean, the guy just can stretch a defense. And I think you've got to take at least two or three shots to him per game. You know, if you're not, you're not utilizing him to his full potential, in my opinion. I concur. Co-signed Jeff Mitchell. One of the other players, Daniel, I wanted to talk about is is John Diars. So I always I always look for a couple of guys on the team, independent of size, that if we had a bar fight, I would just go stand next to him because I know nobody could could whip him. And pound per pound, the toughest guy on the team, in my opinion, is Des White. 
But John DR moved up the charts this week. What did you think of those moments in the in the yapping, in the pushing, in the in the throwing the guy down with one hand while he's making a one-handed catch? What did you think of John DRs this week against West Virginia and their D-backs? John DRs has long been a favorite player of mine, and every week he he, he climbs the ranks. Uh, that guy is awesome. Uh, my favorite play from him th- from this game. I mean, he's got steady hands. Uh, he can catch the jump ball, and I, you know, I I find him to be a very very trustworthy receiver. And um, but my favorite play, man, was he he caught that ball and he trucked that guy down on the sideline, just ran him over and kind of stood over him and kind of stared him down. And um, that was just awesome. And that just epitomizes how much of a tough guy he is. And I've I've, I've loved. Uh, I've loved John DRs for a while, and uh, he's one of my favorite players. And um, I don't know of all time, but definitely of of recent history. I'm with you there. Yeah, I loved watching John DRs play. He's one of the... He's one of my favorite players right now, mostly because, I mean, what he's able to do physically, what he's able to do catching the ball, and then he's got that, that he embodies that attitude that is both, that we absolutely need at this program, which is underdog, I'm going to whoop you, but we're going to win. It's not just that we're the underdog, it's the underdog, and we're going to beat you down, and we're going to go to victory, and that's why I love John D'Arce, that is one tough Dude, that is a grown man. And anybody that thinks you can just kind of trot a 19-year-old five-star DB out there that's going to shut down John DR, I just say, good luck, buddy. Good luck with that one. Well, Jeremiah, we referenced this in the pre in the kind of the pregame talk before we hit record here. Is there a saltier group of fans than West Virginia Twitter? Because my goodness, my mentions have been lit up. I probably asked for about 10% of it. But, oh my gosh, I haven't interacted with a group of fans that were this salty after a loss as the West Virginia Mountaineers on Twitter. What's your thoughts on that? It's funny you bring that up because uh, this has been the hardest, um, I guess, situation for me in my career covering TCU to where I have to just try to stay professional because I haven't responded to a single one of those guys. Um, I, I really can't get into it with fans. But I cannot believe just the the garbage that is spewing out of their mouths. It is unbelievable. I understand that they're salty, and and I you know there were a couple plays that didn't go their way, but man, there was holding on multiple calls, big calls that that was not called. Um, I will give them after going back and watching the late hit out of bounds that they took back. I do think that was a late hit, but I don't know how you can call that for sure an interception. Um, they they were just really really salty group and for them to just go for days after the game and and anybody mentioning TCU they jump on there and talk about well just thank the refs for that one you know that was all the refs it was a gift i mean take your loss and go home you know it's you just sound really petty and this whole narrative that west virginia fans feel like you know they're the outsiders of the big 12 and that they're never going to be allowed to compete you know um because they're not one of the favorite programs or whatever. These guys live in an alternate universe. So it's unbelievable some of the stuff that I saw. I mean, I, it was funny, you know, because the TCU fans are giving it right back to them. Um, but, yeah, it, I, I don't think I've ever seen a saltier bunch of guys after a loss, man. Just put it to bed. you got another game coming this week, so they better be better be ready to play. Yeah, take your L. I love that. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> just, just take your L. Because this is a salty group of people. I was on the Raspy Voice Kids. That's the name of a show of a couple of guys that live in Ohio but are huge West Virginia fans. And they're fun. They they joked around. I joked with them for about 15 minutes. I called him Bill Greer. I dropped the Frogs of War line about Western Virginia a couple of times. And they had a lot of fun with it. Man, they were really enjoyable with the back and forth. But the people that follow them... They just assume that this is like an insult of your mama's mama because you don't uh, worship West Virginia. And they, they think that the whole world is out to get their football program. So it was kind of fun to watch their fans interact. But, oh, my gosh, do they take everything. I've had at least nine screenshots of the West Vir- of the interception that got overturned sent to me by West Virginia fans. And I feel like that guy that's in the History Channel meme is sending them to me, the guy with the big hair and the aliens in the background – because, man, they are some conspiracy theorists because they never show the next screenshot where he's bobbling it when it goes out of bounds. But they are like, this was sent. And my favorite one was, we would not have lost this game if Oklahoma had beaten Iowa State. The Big 12 offense is protecting TCU. That is some serious, uh, that's some stage five conspiracy theory. And I kind of like it. 
Oh, I've had multiple people post that to tag me in that comment. But because Oklahoma lost, the Big 12 decided to protect TCU. That's great. It is. And when I look at the penalties, I mean, I don't know how many crossing pick plays. The Brady Quinn was calling it a pick play over and over when they were crossing sills on on the, on that X route, and and they they didn't call that. I don't know how many. I mean, I, th- I think there were two screenshots, not to go screenshots, but there were two different plays that I saw where I stopped the film, and you could see that there is holding in the end zone as Greer is pinned back there on one of those seven punts, and they don't call it. It's just what it is. We had calls that went against us. We had calls that went our way. You know what you need to do? You need to not turn the ball over. You need to take advantage of your opportunities, and you need to not whine. Just take your L. That's a great line, Jeremiah. Just take your L and move on. Any other thoughts on that, Jeremiah, before we uh, keep rolling with uh, with the outline? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. If you look at the totals, you know, TCU had more penalties called on them during the game. Um, it, I don't know, man. I, I hate to see it because I like West Virginia. When I, when they're on TV, I like to watch them play. They're it's a physical bunch. They play hard. They have Coach Patterson's respect. You know, after the game, he's like, man, that's just another TCU-West Virginia game. He knows it's going to be a barn burner every time these guys play. I just hope their fans understand that, hey, you know, you're welcome into the Big 12. We like having you here. You know, it's a great game. It's a great atmosphere. It's another great place to play. So just drop the, the stick of, you know, you're not welcome because you are. And you're a, you're a complete member of this of this conference now. So uh, let's just have some more memorable games in the future and let's not get so salty. Good advice, my friend. Good advice. A uh, couple, couple quick things here I want to talk about before we move on. Um, I want to talk about an awkward subject. Mac Engel, who every every frog fan hates, wrote an article. He's wrote, he wrote two articles this week. I'll start or since the game. I'll start with the one that's positive. He talked about how this is the golden era of TCU football, and you need to just soak up every minute. He talked about that the story shouldn't have even happened. We're a small, tiny private school that was kind of kicked to the tur- curb. We could have been Tulsa. We could have been Rice. But here we are. We've played our way back in. We got game day. We're a top six team. We should just be delighting in, in every minute of that. So we got that. We've got we got a recognition that we are uh, living in this great moment that Mac recognizes, and I compare that to the almost the whiny nature of our fan base that we only won by a touchdown. So you got those two dynamics that are real. But then Mac wrote another article that I'm not going to lie, I resonated with, where he said, "How in the world do we not have?" a standing room only sellout crowd for a top 25 matchup when we have college game day on campus. And I, I, I said I didn't want to see it happen, and I cringed when I saw that it did happen. They open up the aerial of Eamon Carter Stadium at 2.30, and I'm looking at two or three or 4,000 empty seats just right out of the gate. I mean, like, it's not even thinly populated. It's just freaking empty in two corners. I was not a fan of that, and I don't know how to talk about it without sounding like a uh, like I'm just complaining and not recognizing the win. But why in the world can we not fill the smallest stadium in the Big Twelve when we have two top twenty-five teams? I love your guys' feedback. Part of the problem is that West Virginia uh, sent back most of their allotment of tickets, so there's a huge, huge gap, um, and then up up there in the uh, in the north uh, north part of the west side of the stadium. Another reason is that it's just plain hot. The east side is an oven. There's a lot of people who are actually still there, but they're standing in the concourse. Um, so it just looks bad. Um, but by the end of the third quarter, uh, after, of course, it, you know, everyone filed out at halftime to go tailgate, um, it, they, they filled back in in the fourth quarter, and it was loud and it was rowdy. Um, but, uh, you know, with these young alumni and they got kids and soccer and all these things that go on. It's hard for these to, for everyone to make these eleven o'clock and two thirty games. I, actually, I I agree with you. Um, I I think, and not to make excuses because I I've been a big critic of the crowds in the past. But um, my my wife and my stepson have had season tickets now. This is their third year or fourth year. I can't remember. This week and like two weeks ago. My wife went home and she was sick, like throwing up sick, like almost heat stroke symptoms. So you're talking, it was only 87 degrees, but it felt like 110 on the field, where, where especially the people in the east side of the stands. Um, I I don't want to make excuses for people, but I mean, it, you, these 11 o'clock and 2.30 games in, in Fort Worth when it's 
you know, heat index was whatever it was, 90 something degrees. I mean, the people are just, they're falling out. I mean, it's extremely hot. Now, is that an excuse for every single game? No. They're, like like Daniel said, there's multiple other things. You know, there's a TC already has a small alumni base to begin with, and a lot of these younger guys are starting to have kids, and they've got all their sporting events and those things. So you're already working against a, a stacked deck anyway. So, you know, I don't know if there's any one thing that can change it. it, it you know, you do hate to see those empty spots. There were hardly any West Virginia fans there. Uh, that big opening area where they usually sit was very noticeable. Um, but, you know, the in the fourth quarter when I was down on the field uh, with like four minutes left in the game, man, it was loud. It was loud. It was intense. And I, I was just thinking, man, it would be great if you could hear this for a whole game. And I think you would have if you have a 7 o'clock kick or a night game where, you know, people aren't, you know, passing out in the stands. They, I just feel like they got to do something to protect those people on the east side of the stadium because the people on the home side, they get to sit in the, the you know, the shade a lot. So um, they, and like Daniel said, there's a lot of people underneath the stands. You can see them. They're three and four deep all the way around. So they're there. They're just not feeling like sitting in that sun. So I don't know what the answer is. It's just, it's unfortunate and it looks bad on TV. Well, I want to go on the record saying I don't want to do anything that fans the flames of Muck Engel. I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of his, but I just thought he was kind of on target with that. And I will kind of step to I will take two steps back from that adamacy. I agree with you guys that it's got to suck to be have the 95 degree heat or whatever the heat index is, even when it's 88. Like you said about your wife, man, I hate hearing that. That's got to stink. And I know people have lives and people have kids and all that, but it just feels like that if you know in those moments. We've got to we've got to find a way to have a better crowd, and I don't I don't know what the solution is, and I and I'm, I'm sure my complaining has nothing to do with how much the marketing team loses sleep about it. There's somebody's job to make sure that that doesn't happen, and I'm sure they're very good at their job. So I don't want to come across as a whiner. So don't like at me 37 times about a complainer and why weren't you there? I mean, I'm only 14 hours away, but I, I I know we have great energy. I know we have committed fans. I could tell a noticeable difference in the fourth quarter, and that's good. That's what you want. That's how you create home field advantage. So, I mean, unlike the the Baylor game, the sun the sun shines hard on hard, uh, the the heat shines on both of us. It rained only on Baylor back in '15, so we do have the heat that both teams had to deal with on Saturday, and I know the fans had to deal with it as well. All right, a couple quick things here as we kind of wrap up this West Virginia. Uh, Will Greer, I want to just kind of do a, a who you got here. So I'm going to start with you, Jeremiah. Who's a better quarterback, Sam Ellinger? Or uh, Will Greer, who you got? Man, that's tough. I, I, I mean, I think Sam Ellinger is gonna be a dude. Like I really do. I, I think he's gonna be a handful to deal with over the next four years. Um, but right now, as a player, I think Will Greer, um, he can be an NFL quarterback. Um, he's elusive and he's got a big arm. Obviously, I, I think you know he threw for a lot of yards, but I thought TCU did some good things against him. They got a ton of pressure on him, and they made him run around a lot. They couldn't quite get him down as much as you'd want to see, but they made him work for what he got. And uh, he made he made some throws that, quite honestly, Kenny Hill can't make and some other guys can't make. Um, he's got an NFL arm, and I, I think he could be a really good uh, NFL caliber quarterback. So right now I'll go with Greer, but who knows what Ellinger will turn into, but he looks like he's going to be something special. Yeah, he does. We're going to talk about the Texas game in just a second here. Daniel, who you who do you have, uh, Will Greer or Mason Rudolph? Oh, I got Will Greer, uh, no doubt. Um, Mason Rudolph um, was intimidating when we were going into the Oklahoma State game, um, but he didn't impress me that much. Uh, I think he's a good passer, but he does not have the wheels that Will, Will Greer does. He's not slippery like Will Greer is. And uh, I also, uh, about 10 years ago, had the same kind of hair that Will Greer had or has, so um, I'm slightly partial to that. <laughs> you know, the the show I was on this last week, they talked about how they call Will, Will Greer Mountain Jesus because of his hair. And I did send him a message that said it looks like Mountain Jesus is a false prophet. So he'll need a haircut one of these days. But <laughs> Jeremiah, Mason Rudolph or Will Greer, who's a better quarterback? <sighs> I mean, I'm, this might sound crazy. I actually think Will Greer is a better quarterback. You put Will Greer. Oh, I do. I, hot sports yeah, opinion. Here I, it I is. Think you put Will Greer in Oklahoma State's offense with those weapons, that that's. 
I mean, he adds an element that Rudolph doesn't have, and that's being able to run the football and get get away from the rush. I mean, Mason's very clumsy in the pocket. Can't He doesn't move well at all. Uh, he's got a big arm, and, you know, he makes big plays down the field. But, uh, you know, I'd take Will Greer if, if all things are equal. Well, we got Will Greer over Mason Rudolph, over Baker Mayfield, and over Sam Ellinger, which, of course, kind of begs the question, is Will Greer better than Kenny Hill? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm afraid so. Okay. But but the good thing is, Kenny's not being asked to win games right now. I, I mean, he, he did score three different ways Saturday, but yes. you can't ignore that. But they're not putting the whole game on his shoulders. You're letting your playmakers make plays. But to me, Will Greer may be the best quarterback in the conference. Well, let me just go ahead and be the contrarian. You know why, you know why Kenny Hill's better than uh, Will Greer? Because he's 5-0. and because he's five and zero, oh. that's the only measurement of a quarterback. I absolutely believe that. So, yeah, Kenny Hill is five and zero. Oh. He's done everything that's been asked of him, and it has won games. So that's why I love Kenny Hill. It does. It says a lot about old uh, Zach Smith. It says a lot about Joel Lanning at Iowa State as well. Let's just go ahead and roll right into this. Uh, all right, who wants to talk about the Ohio, the uh, the OU Iowa State game, the 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 Iowa flag planted in the middle of the OU at Norman? Jeremiah, did you get to see the end of that game? I didn't. I did not get to see it. I, I saw the score. I think I may have saw maybe eight or ten plays of that whole game. So I, I don't. I really can't say much about it. That was a pretty weak uh, flag plant in the middle, though. Man, you got to bring it with more authority than that. Well, it's Iowa State. <laughs> they're, 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 they haven't had a, play, a flag plant, plant victory since 2011. But I thought – I'm not going to la- – let me start with this. It's terrible for the Big 12. It is terrible for the Big 12 that Iowa State beat Oklahoma. It is absolutely terrible. But, man, when I, when I watched uh, Baker Mayfield kind of just kind of sputter and throw that incomplete pass on fourth down, I had quite a little smile come across my face. I was at home watching the game. I got to see the, the final few minutes of it. And I think we can just all agree, man, Matt Campbell can coach. That guy is a heck of a coach. I knew he was going to cause some problems for somebody this year. I didn't think it would be Oklahoma where they're a 30-point favorite, where their starting quarterback was basically unceremoniously uh, dismissed off the team. So, man, Matt Campbell can coach. Iowa State beat OU, and that sure just turned the apple cart upside down for the Oklahoma, for the Big 12 race. Thankfully, they finally got rid of that hippie-looking guy. Man, that guy is terrible. Oh, Jacob Park. They oh. If they didn't have this move last week, they would have beat Texas. Yeah, I agree. It, it's it is really bad for the conference. So when you just look at the big picture, but we all like we discussed on this show. You know, coming into the season though, Iowa State was gonna was gonna cause some problems for some people. Like you said, we weren't sure it was gonna be OU, but Matt Campbell is is a one of the top young coaches in the game right now, and it won't be long before. Big teams come knocking. I I was actually reading a Nebraska board today. They're already asking, can we go get Matt Campbell? I mean, there's you know there's a lot of there's gonna be a lot of interest in that guy, and he and he's gonna have them battling for a bowl berth this year. So, um, what an incredible game for Iowa State. But yeah, that that definitely is a that stings for the Big Twelve. Maybe Chris Del Conte can hire him when he becomes the AD at Nebraska. I know. I, I I jumped on before you were gonna say it. <laughs> not happening. Oh, not happening. Sorry, Nebraska. Not happening. We got the Kansas State uh, University of Texas game. Texas beats K State in overtime. That was kind of an exciting game to watch. We already mentioned uh, Sam Ellinger, kind of his coming out party. If anybody thinks he's not the starting quarterback at Red River, you are insane. And if 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 Herman pushes Shane Bouchelle out there to start that game, he needs to lose his job. So how does that shake up the Big 12 race with with Texas getting their second win? And now maybe that Iowa State win looks pretty good. They beat Iowa State. They beat K-State. They're going into Red River. Where does this send the trajectory of both the Texas program and K-State, especially as one stepping into the Red River game and the other one's, of course, taking on us? Jeremiah, you got any thoughts on K-State, Iowa, or K-State uh, Texas? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like, and, and I know it's not a popular opinion on, on our board specifically, but I feel like Texas has really made strides, and, and I, I've been very impressed with their defense and how hard they've played recently. Obviously, they gave up 34 or whatever it was to Kansas State, but 
Um, they're actually they're an interesting team. I mean, there's a lot more want to on this team than the, the last few teams they've had. Um, they're playing hard hard for Tom Herman, and uh, you know we knew there was a chance that this would happen, and um, it's not like that was a, a a bare cupboard whenever he took over. There's a lot of talent on that roster, so um, they're they're going to make some noise. Um, Kansas State's interesting, you know, depending on how serious the Ertz injury is. I don't I don't know if he's been ruled out or if they've even know yet for for the TCU game, but that can really affect them, uh, and they could go south in a hurry, you know, if they lose a couple of games. I just don't think Kansas State has the offense to keep up with these teams in, in the Big Twelve. Um, but yeah, Texas is going to be interesting to watch. I, they go into that Red River Red River rivalry. God, I hate saying that. Uh, they go into that game and. They've got a lot of uh, momentum right now, and, and now with OU coming off that tough loss, that's going to be a real interesting game to, to, to take in. I still call it the Red River Shootout because that's what it is. So, Yeah, I'll be interested to see what, what Texas is able to do against Oklahoma, but I think I think if Jesse Ertz is out, I think that kind of does set K-State back. I know I don't gamble, but I, I, I have followed the line, and they still haven't set the, as of about two hours ago, they still haven't set the TCU-K-State line because nobody knows what's going to be going on with Jesse Ertz. And if he's not playing, man, just put eight guys in the box, and we should be just fine. So I will be curious to see if Ertz is able to play. Daniel, you have any other thoughts on the on the K State Texas game before we move on? Uh, I just don't think uh, Kansas State's all that good. Um, they just don't have the offensive power that they used to, uh, or at least most recently. Um, I'm not sure Ertz is. I mean, he's a good good passer, but he you know he's kind of clumsy running around. Uh, although he can do it a little bit, but um, when he kind of got hurt the other night. Um, I, I like that backup. He looked like a pretty solid player. So I don't know what the game's going to be like um, coming up, with uh, depending on whether Ertz plays or not. That's going to be interesting. Um, but uh, I, I think Texas is very much improving. I think their defense is uh, very good. Um, I'm, I'm seeing Malik Jefferson all over the place. I think um, Todd Orlando is a pretty darn good uh, defensive coordinator. And in fact... And it's because of that and the way Oklahoma has been playing that I think Texas beats OU in, uh, in, in Dallas. Oh, I heard that. Wow. You think Texas is going to beat Oklahoma this I, week? I do. I, I think it, it's going to be a good game, but I think Texas comes out on top. I just don't – I don't think uh, Lincoln Riley is up to the test quite as much as we thought, even though he beat Ohio State. I I think Texas wins it too. I really do. I, I just think they've got the momentum kind of on their side. We'll see. Um, and OU's probably got to be shell shocked right now because I, I mean, how do they recover from that game? They're going to have to pick their jock straps up because, you know, right now every they feel like they've lost everything. They're still in the race. They've just got it's it's going to be really interesting to see how they respond. But I, I think Texas might take it to them this weekend. So is is. Is Oklahoma not that good? And if not, what does that say about uh, Ohio State? Yeah, I think I think Ohio State is in playoff contention until they get that fourth loss. Maybe if they lose to Rutgers, they might get out of the top four. So, yeah, man, I, they're going to be so – Ohio State will be forgiven of all things if, you know, with that loss to Oklahoma. And if Oklahoma – you know they've they're already being docked for losing to Iowa State. Let's see what Iowa State becomes. Let's see what Ohio State becomes. So, yeah, I think I think the media or the ESPN or the committee or whoever, Barry Alvarez they will find a way to cover up the multitude of sins of of Ohio State. So maybe when they play somebody, it'll be worth noting. They got something coming up. They got Penn State coming up here. So we'll we'll see what comes of that. All right, let's do so. Let's do some quick predictions here. All right, both you guys are on a record saying Texas beats OU. Am I right? Yep. Yeah, I got Texas this weekend. All right, I'm going to go ahead and be the contrarian. I'm going to take Oklahoma. I think the the Sooners win, and I think uh, Lincoln Riley becomes a much better head coach with this week. So he had the Baylor game that didn't teach him. He had the bye week. He wasn't able to get him up for the game. Uh, you know, obviously they lost to Iowa State, but I think they're going to be able to beat Texas, and I'll be curious to see how Herman responds to that moving forward. Let's go ahead and get everybody on the record here. What do you think about TCU K-State? 
Anything you want to say about what it's going to take to win or how, you know, if we don't do this, we might lose. And let's go ahead and get a prediction on the record here. Let's start with you, Jeremiah. Yeah, I like TCU at Kansas State. I just don't think Kansas State can match them uh, point for point right now. And also, you know, I think I feel like TCU is kind of on a revenge tour right now for the teams that kind of pushed them around last year. And that was Oklahoma State, West Virginia, and Kansas State. So this will be the third one that they owe, owe a, a game to. So uh, I think they go in and win the game by – Getting back to what worked, running the football, and uh, you know, just uh, and I just don't see how Kansas State can score enough points to win. So I'm going to go with the Frogs. I love the revenge tour. That's a great way to look at it. I mean, this will be the trifecta of the teams that you know put 30 on us, and we could barely do anything with, and we clearly got exposed in the trenches. I think you're right. That's a that's a great way to look at it. Daniel, what's your prediction for this weekend? Yeah, I'm with Jeremiah. The, the Kansas State's not going to be able to score as many points as. Uh, they would like to against uh, the frogs. They just, you know, they just don't have it quite as much this year. Um, I, I don't, I don't think Kansas State's a bad team, but I don't think they're a very good team. I think uh, the frogs um, are an excellent team. I think they, they just kind of had a, they had a good win against West Virginia, but uh, and then they didn't look quite as hot. But I think they're um, they're going to be definitely up to this task uh, taking down K State. I don't really know of a score, but. Uh, they probably win by two touchdowns. And TCU has a little bit more of something Kansas State does not have, and that is speed, baby. <laughs> that is correct. We do have speed. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take TCU over K-State. I'll give my official prediction later in the week, but I think we win by two touchdowns. And I think this is. I think Kansas State is not who we thought they were going to be. I, I thought they'd beat Vanderbilt. They should have beat Vanderbilt. I think a lot of us were, were a little higher on K-State coming into the season than who they've kind of shown themselves to be. K-State last year, K-State three years ago, they don't lose that game in Austin. And they got they, they got beat by a freshman quarterback. And he's good, but I think we're going to be able to handle K-State. And I don't think that they're quite the the 9 or 10 win team that I think some people thought they would be. So I'll, I'll go ahead and, and camp out on the Frogs. I'm going to trust them to push us to 6-0, and get us halfway through through the season undefeated, which is a great place to be. All right, I want to do some quick hit questions here for you, Jeremiah, specifically. we got some recruiting questions from the board, a few other things. We're going to hit this, and then we're going to close out the episode with our top five of who we think the top five teams are in the country right now if we had to rank them. So, Jeremiah, let's just go ahead and start with uh, the player that you and I both like, Jaquarius Spivey, if I said that right, who's got the best hit Twitter handle that I can remember, at that girl, that's Spivey, which I always got a laugh out of. He has committed to Mississippi State. Tell us a little bit, of, maybe about why his recruitment didn't break our way of what you know, and um, do you think the Frogs will stay on him going forward? I'm sure they'll stay on him because I don't think they have a ton of tight end targets that they're really looking at. I know it's a guy they really liked. Um, you know, He came in for a camp, uh, I think you were there that night, and he was very impressive. Um, they're going to continue to recruit him, but it's it's hard. You know, you, you look at what look at TCU's offense. Does that appeal to a tight end? I mean, I love what they've got right now, but I mean, I think their leading tight end has like three catches. So it, if you're if you're looking for a, a spot in an offense and you're a tight end, I can see why it wouldn't be appealing right now. I don't know if that's something they'd like to incorporate more in the future, but. You want a big body, talented guy like Spivey, but Mississippi State got a good one there. Um, you know, his final three were TCU, LSU, and Mississippi State. So, um, not surprised he didn't go to LSU, and a little surprised he didn't pick the Frogs. But about a week before he committed, I was talking to the Mississippi State guy, and they had been hearing for a, a couple of weeks it was going to be them. So, it wasn't totally surprised, but I can I can kind of see where he was coming from too. I mean, when, when you look at the offenses. Uh, he looks like a, a SEC tight end. Yeah, there's no denying. Bulldogs got a good uh, tight end in Spivey. So hopefully the, the Frogs stay after him. Hopefully the staff, is, if they think he's worth staying after, they will. But he's a good player, and I, I kind of wish we could have got him. One of the other guys that we did have on campus this week that multiple people wanted to know about, and Jeremy's got a great story about Jordan Allen up on the board. Uh Tell us a little bit about maybe how the Frogs stumbled on to Jordan Allen. Tell us a little bit about his background and anything you might be able to share with us about his visit this last weekend. Well, I know it was uh, – I'm not sure which one of the coaches it was that, that found him uh, online, just watched watched his video and contacted him, and it wasn't. It didn't take long for him to get in for a visit. But 
Um, I got to see him in person. Um, boy, he talked about Hollywood, man. He <laughs> he looked like he was straight off the West Coast, man. He, all, I think he had the attention of all the ladies on the sideline. Let's just say that. So, uh, like we, like you and right, I usually I mean, do. Yeah, I mean, it was basically him and I. He barely beat me out on Saturday, but yeah, it was uh, it was cool to get to talk to him and just introduce myself. And he's a big kid, but he's he's pretty thin. He's listed at six five, two thirty, I believe. He's probably six four, six four and a half, but he he needs some work in the weight room. But if you've watched his film, um, man, he's a terror off the edge, and he would be he would be a monster in this defense. So. Um, it's, he really was blown away by the visit. You know, his mom really liked it. Um, it's going to be one to keep an eye on. I don't think he's going to commit right away. I mean, I could be wrong. Um, and cause he got a lot of love cause there was a ton of, you know, current Carter boys, 18 commits there. And they were definitely showing him the love even after the game, tweeting him and everything. Uh, but I think he wants to take a couple more visits to have something to compare it to. Um, cause he's getting some love, you know, he's got an Ole Miss offer. Iowa state's offered. He's got, he's going to get more offers. Um, he's legit. So, uh, it's a great find. I mean, and you know, it's just, those are the guys you, you find later on after a few games, you know, into the season, uh, guys emerge that you may not have known about, you know, I think he was at Cal Poly before he ended up at Juco. So, um, he's a talent and he's going to be one to watch. And, and, uh, I think TCU made a huge impression. Like, like in Jeremy's article, he said that TCU is number one right now, clearly. Um, but he's going to take a few more visits just to kind of see where, where everybody stacks up. Yeah, he's a three for three, it says on his huddle film. So if you haven't watched his huddle, I would really encourage you to go do it. You'll find a link on Horn Frog Blitz on our 24-7 site. You should be able to find that. Man, that kid's got some motor. And um, imagine what he could do with a year in, inside the weight and training program and getting coached up a little bit by, some, by, by, our, by our staff. I would love to see that guy in purple. Uh, anything that you know about uh, Montreal Wilson? Anything that you, that you can give us an update on? That was one of the questions. You know, is he injured? Is he not playing well? Anything that you got on an update on that, Jeremiah? Or is that just kind of state secrets at the yeah, moment? Yeah, I, I don't know how much I can actually say about that publicly. Uh, I, I don't. It's not a health thing. I think he'll be back next week. Um, he'll be back on the okay. field next week uh, if everything goes accordingly. Okay. That sounds good. We'll leave it at that. That sounds good. Well, guys, I know that um, being able to answer every question on here is difficult, but we're going to thank everybody that put a question on the website today. Um, pop that up there with just a couple of hours of notice. We love getting questions. If you want to tweet us or put something on the board during the week, we would love to reply to you. We really appreciate everybody that takes the time to listen to us. We want to wrap up, since we're almost halfway through the season now, with um, something that we'll probably be doing between now and Selection Saturday or Selection Sunday Top five teams that we have right now. If the if the season ended right now, who are the top five teams that you have? And uh, just think of it through the prism of the college football selection committee. So you automatically have to have Ohio State number one. But who are the five teams that you would have? Daniel, let's start with you. What is your top five at this moment? Oh, man. Kind of put me on the spot. Um, I think... Um I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, the top two is uh, Alabama and Clemson. Uh, after that, I think um, I want to say Georgia number three. They look pretty good. Uh, I'll go ahead and put TCU at four, um, and that's not quite being a total homer, but sort of. And then um, rounded out number five, um, Washington State, um, the Pirate. I, I like uh, I like what they're doing. They took down USC, who might be overrated, but they look good. They look real good. Nice. I approve. I approve. Uh, Dave, or Jeremiah, what are your top five at this moment? Right now, I've got I've still got Alabama number one, Clemson two, and that's and those guys could be interchangeable. I think Clemson's got a championship level defense right now, but I'm not sure their offense is near what it was. So I've got still got Clemson two. I've got Georgia three. Um, and I know there's like Joel Clad actually had Georgia three today, and I like Joel Clad a lot. Uh, he's he and the, I guess Daniel and other people are seeing the same thing I'm seeing. Georgia looks scary. Um, you know they look really really good. So I've got them at three. Um, I've got Penn State four, and I've got Washington five. I got TCU at six. Just in case you're wondering, uh, give me another couple weeks, and TCU could be in that top four. But I can't put them there yet just because of where they started they got to work their way up to that point um 
And I think Penn State with Saquon Barkley and uh, Trace McSorley, the quarterback, he's really good. Uh, I think they they're going to beat o- Ohio State, and so they'll they'll be a legitimate top four at that point. Uh, and I just I think it's going to be Alabama and Georgia in the SEC championship. So so we'll see. Uh, but that's that's where I kind of stand right now. All right, everybody, get ready. I'm going to rock your world. I got Clemson number one, and it's really not even close. They're the defending national champions. They've beaten Auburn. I got Clemson number one. I've got Georgia number two. That win at Notre Dame looks pretty good. They look really solid at Mississippi State. And you got Alabama at three for a very simple reason. When you beat Aggie by one score, which is not all that different than how much Aggie beat Mercer by. I mean, uh, about how much they beat ULL by. I mean, I've got to go with uh, Georgia over Alabama. Alabama, if they're if their schedule and their and the name on front of their jersey was Mississippi State, they'd be six or seven. They, you just don't get to be number one because of uh, a national title you won a couple of years ago. So I got Alabama number three. I got TCU four. That win against Oklahoma State is going to stack up to be our best win of the year. And you know we just we got we just beat back to back top ten top twenty five teams. I don't think you can take that lightly. I don't know anybody else that's uh, that's done. Nobody in the Big Twelve has done that. And so then I got Wazoo number five because I do agree. I mean they got a good win over USC, who I think will probably end up winning the uh, the, the Pac twelve. And yeah, I, Mike Leach gets the benefit of the doubt in all things if it'll get the camera in his face. So Clemson, Georgia, Bama, TCU, Wazoo. Anything else you guys got for parting thoughts, uh, health tips, uh, beauty tips, life wisdom, uh, spiritual insight from golf before we wrap up here? No, I don't think anybody wants my my uh, <laughs> my thoughts on any of that. <laughs> Well, if you if you made it this far, we appreciate you listening to the Frogcast. If you haven't yet, track us down on iTunes and give us a rating. We would love for you to rate us on iTunes. Our downloads continue to grow every week. We appreciate everybody that takes the time. Maybe you listen to it while you're cutting the grass or sitting in traffic on 635. Thank you very much for uh, subscribing and, and paying attention to our show. If you see us on social media... You know, if you see the tweet with the show, if you see that on the Facebook page, please retweet that. Please share that. We would love to share the story of the Frogcast with a lot of other folks. We think that the Frog family has a – we have a lot of good content that we want to get out there, and we, we appreciate everybody that shares it and everybody that listens. So until next week, hopefully we'll be coming back with a big win over K-State. I'm Jeff Mitchell, and I want to thank Daniel and Jeremiah for being here with us. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast.